Hey there, Jordan Sheridan, live status quo. Uh, sorry for the uh, little delay. Uh, had a tech problem, but it's all settled. Uh, smash that like button, share this live stream uh, so we can get it out to as many people as humanly possible. Uh, reminder, I will be on the ground uh, next week if there is a strike. Uh, I believe there will be a strike uh, of the auto workers. Uh, so if and when that happens, uh, six days from now, I will be on the ground, probably in Detroit, uh, which we will be talking to Dr. West about in a little bit. Uh, let me uh, in, let me uh, bring on Dr. Cornell West uh, now. He is running for the Green Party nomination uh, for president. How you doing, Dr. West? Oh, it's always a blessing, my brother. I tell you, you're a hard-working man. You said James Brown was the hardest-working man in show business. You are one of the hardest-working brothers in public. Thank you, sir. Thank you, you sir. And I want Appreciate to be with those workers, too. I can Good. tell you that. No, indeed, indeed. We set up a time I could make sure I talk to their people so I could be with the UAW brothers and sisters against the, uh, the greedy bosses there. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that in a, in a little bit. I wanted to start uh, so much to talk about. I wanted to start, you know, the main thing that I keep hearing about uh, in the headlines about Cornell West uh, is this word spoiler. And I know that uh, I know that uh, you've probably heard it. But for those that haven't, I wanted to show you uh, my producer put this together. Uh, mm. It seems like they all got on a call or something and uh, decided on the message. Uh, Colin, if you could play, uh, this is just like a little 45 seconds of uh, the, the mainstream media's focus on Cornell West. Uh, Cornell West, he's giving voters a choice that isn't Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. Or is he playing the role of a third party spoiler? Is Cornell West a spoiler in 2024? Well, you have more than a th you have a third party candidate now. And uh, the Green Party candidate is pulling about four or five percent away from completely away from Biden. So if you want to talk about a spoiler, they should focus in on Cornell West. The Green Party presidential candidate Cornell West, why he's running and how he answers concerns that this election could be too close to risk being a spoiler. Actually create a real path that a, that a third party candidate has a lane or is this just the same thing we're going to see over and over and it's just another spoiler. I worry about it being another spoiler. Another threat to Biden's re-election bid comes from Cornell West, the former Harvard scholar who is mounting a Green Party presidential bid. He, too, rejects the label of spoiler. So, uh, by the way, that's just the last week or so. Uh, so I won't I won't go any further than that. But, you know, I found it interesting. This is not a new uh, narrative. Obviously, uh, Ralph Nader, Jill Stein, others have been attacked as this. But I found it interesting in light of all these polls that are coming out about uh, President Biden. Uh, this recent poll had him basically tied with uh, former President Trump. Trump's up by one. You got Biden tied with DeSantis. You got Nikki Haley defeating Biden by six points in a head to head. Uh, Biden's barely beating uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, former Vice President Pence is beating Biden by two points. Tim Scott, the senator, by two points. Chris Christie, two points. Uh, then you look at uh, Biden's, uh, this is a poll of Democrats. 67% say they want somebody else. 67%. Wow. Uh, I, could, I could go on. Uh, you got uh, in that CNN poll. 73% of Americans in one way or the other have a, a negative view on his age or 
uh, mental, physical competence. Are you the spoiler or is President Biden the spoiler? <laughs> well, part of the problem is that the system as a whole is full of so much rot. You know, it's Shakespearean. It's something is rotten in Denmark, something profoundly rotten in the political and economic system of the American empire. And if there was any serious commitment to democracy, we'd be really trying to institute ranked choice voting. We'd be trying to institute the abolition of the electoral college. We'd be trying to push proportional representation. If we were seriously concerned with Socratic dialogue and ensuring the voices of our fellow pre precious citizens, though, man, we'd be allowing a robust conversation about public life the predicament, especially of poor and working people, rather than a two-party system that impedes Socratic dialogue, impedes democratic flourishing of poor and working people. And so it's very, very clear that, um, unfortunately, you know, the oligarchs and plutocrats, they just don't have a commitment to a serious dialogue or democratic processes at all. It's very clear, very clear. We saw that with our dear brother Bernie. I, I, we tried twice with Brother Bernie, right? And I'm thoroughly convinced he was treated so unfairly and unjustly. And, I, and he knows that too. He knows he wasn't treated right. I'm still upset. In some ways, I might be more upset than he is. But whatever it is, and I love my brother, and I know he loves me, that we got deep disagreements about this moment. But the important thing is we got to move forward. We cannot allow any kind of false narrative to dampen our fire and not create an alternative vision, alternative infrastructures, alternative institutions, alternative space, given what is at stake, which is the destruction of the planet, that not just the destruction of democratic possibilities, but the crushing of poor and working people. And of course, for me, in terms of my own particular uh, tradition of the black freedom struggle, the, uh, the, this massive assault on black people, uh, mass incarceration, uh, mass miseducation or non-education, unemployment, underemployment, so that the issues of class, the issues of white supremacy, of male supremacy, our sisters not gaining access to control of their bodies and reproductive rights and so forth. The defense of precious trans and gay brothers and lesbian sisters, this is not narrow identity politics. This is morality and spirituality having to do with the humanity of folk who are being degraded, being attacked and assaulted. And we can have our deep critique of capitalism as well as have our critiques of white supremacy, male supremacy, homophobia and transphobia if we're broad enough in our vision and if we're open enough in our movement building. You and I have talked on many occasions, my dear brother, and I do want to say that uh, you really have been consistent and courageous, man. I, I, I just, I just want to say that. Uh, I really Thank you. That, that's that's very important, for a brother like me, because when you get in the foxhole, you don't want agreement. You want integrity. You don't want right. pats on the back. You want honesty. You see. But when you're in that foxhole, you want to make sure people are for real. You know, they're not just concerned about their careers or the next opportunity and their constituency. No, you want to know what's in their heart, what's in their soul. And we know, and my dear brother Norman Fickelstein in his lovely book that I just read, uh, was I'm going to burn down this bridge or something like that, but it's, it's, it's a powerful text. And he says over and over again, character 
is much deeper than ideology in terms of how people act. And character is, is, is irreducible. And character has to do with integrity and honesty and humility and openness to others and trying to learn but still taking a stand. All of us have splinters in our eyes. All of us have shortcomings in our lens. But character is something different. And this is very important, especially as we build alternative institutions and infrastructure so we can disagree at very deep levels, but also try to hold on to our character because in the end, we're going to be in very similar demonstrations. <laughs> all right. of us. We all ought to be at the UAW. We all ought to be in Mississippi dealing with what Brother Parker and what Brother Jenkins and Precious Mary and the others have to deal with in terms of vicious white supremacist police. And so we ought to be all with the sisters in terms of abortion. We ought to be all with our precious trans in terms of them being treated in degrading ways consistently across the board. You know what I mean? Right. Folk get attacked. We are in solidarity with them. Palestinians under vicious Israeli occupation, we are in solidarity with Palestinians. Dalits, it goes hand in hand. And that's, to me, what it is to have a genuine left, not a pure left. There's no such thing as a pure left. No such thing as pure human being. Right. Let me ask you, with all this uh, hand-wringing and meltdowns, you got James Carville on TV saying he's wet in his bed, uh, David Axelrod melting down. Has anyone from the Biden administration, the Democratic Party elite, reached out to you to see, you know, what can we do for you? What can, uh, what kind of policy concessions can we make? Not in two years now. Uh, what can we do uh, to further um, work on poverty or the black community or the issues that you have championed? It seems if they're so worried, the first thing I would do is try to talk to someone you see as such a threat. That's exactly right. I mean, that's one of the things we talked about on The Breakfast Club a few weeks ago, right? If they were really concerned about the conditions and issues that I'm talking about, they would speak to those issues and conditions and still have time to do it. Executive order and a whole host of other things. But the problem is that you don't have Socratic energy and democratic sensibility and democratic party. So it's capacity for self-criticism is an analysis to my capacity to be tackle on National Football League team tomorrow. It just doesn't exist, it seems. It's so frozen, ossified, petrified into its narrow way of looking at the world. And those who do not accept that are demonized, marginalized, character assassination, and so forth, you see. Now, I'm, I'm more concerned about a critique of the system than I am being preoccupied with their attacks on me. You know what I mean? Because their attacks on me are minimal compared to what the masses of people have to live with every day. 63% of the population living paycheck to paycheck. Unbelievable wealth inequality that we know. The schools are decrepit. Housing is colonized by the real estate developers and so on. That's where the focus needs to be rather than the fact that they're just coming at me saying, oh, well, Wes, you're responsible for fascism. You are a menace. You the biggest threat to our constitutional order and so forth. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to bear witness. I'm going to listen to my critics, but I'm not going to be discouraged by my demonizers. Right. Let me ask you, uh, a lot of people have asked me uh, and are interested, what is the plan for the campaign? Obviously, you have to win the nomination, which is a process. But right. are you planning on doing rallies in the near future? Are you planning on getting out there across the country, organizing? 
what's going on within the Green Party now. You know, people want to know more beyond just doing the interviews, which is obviously right. a good thing. Well, I've been blessed that yourself and the whole host of others, including some of the brothers and sisters in the corporate media have had me on. And I try to be consistent and say exactly what I believe in each context. And I've been blessed to do over about 160 of them so far. Now, as you know, I was in Mississippi for those three days. Very, very powerful Delta, Mississippi, Lexington, there in Rankin County, where the Klan still has a strong presence uh, uh, with Brother Malik and Brother Trent, the lawyers trying to make sure that these police who have now have guilty pleas, you know, actually now get a, get, get a, a sentencing, a fair sentencing, given the brutality that they put on Brother Jenkins and Brother Parker. Uh, uh, I did a thing at the town hall in Sacramento. I'm heading off to Climate uh, Week in New York. Uh, in terms of massive rallies, see, I got to make sure that I'm a jazz man. I, I got to get my timing right. I don't want to begin to peak early. He said, I got a whole year and two and a half months, my brother. And we've got a magnificent team now, fundraisers, Sister Madeline, Sister Amy, and the others. And we need to get our infrastructure in place. Because as you know, it's a poor people's campaign. It's a working people's campaign. We don't have the millions and millions and millions of dollars. We've got some wonderful volunteers. Don't get me wrong. Wonderful volunteers. So we have to make sure that the funds begin to be in place such that we can have these big rallies because I'm not into just superficial optics. You know, I want to make sure that uh, when we actually take off in a much more substantive way that we're able to sustain our pace, sustain. So my answer to your question, yes, we will have a number of rallies. Yes, we'll have a number of fundraisers. Yes, we'll have a number of gatherings that will reflect the breadth and scope of our support, very much so. The crucial thing is, is that we want to keep our souls intact. We're going to keep Absolutely. our eyes on what the 1960s freedom fighters of all colors said, eyes on the prize. By prize, it didn't mean a commodity. They right. meant a cause. It didn't mean a brand. They didn't mean a market strategy for a career. They meant a cause you're willing to live and die for. Keep our eyes on the prize, our hand on the plow. And uh, I'm going to get into in a minute. Obviously, you had uh, a bit of a newsworthy interview the other day. But before I get to that, I want to ask you, uh, you see. You see- I, I love your sense of humor. Yeah. You. you put a smile on Jonathan Swift and Mark Twain's face with that little understatement of the comic. I love that. Uh, I love thank you. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you keep hearing. I, I think I've heard this my entire uh, career. It's always uh, Democratic pundits saying the problem is messaging. It's not the policies. It's the messaging, right? Well, the bottom line is uh, right now, President Biden, he's only at 53 percent among the non-white vote. And uh, for months, uh, he's been shredding support among young people, among black people, uh, among Hispanic folks um, and black men in particular. And all we hear is how great the economy is. Bidenomics. Uh, can you talk about, because you, uh, perhaps other than Bernie, uh, in the in this world, you've traveled all over this country, not just over the last couple of weeks, talking the last couple of decades. You've been to Mississippi. You've been to Alabama. You've been where, uh, you know, people uh, have it better in some third world countries than in America. Can you talk about why do you think people now 
even people that were formerly in the Democratic Party uh, corner are now losing support if the economy is supposedly so uh, strong. You see, part of the problem is, my brother, is that uh, the measures of how well the economy is doing more and more has little to do with the lived experience of the masses of poor and working people. So most of our economists that look at it and say, oh, well, I see it's 3% unemployment, 3.2. Oh, we've got inflation down to 2.5. I see. Well, I live on 110th Street in Harlem. When I walk down the street, I see precious brothers and sisters homeless. We step over and we have dialogue, may give a little cash, revel in their humanity, they revel in ours. But it's fairly clear in terms of the distribution of wealth. It's fairly clear in terms of the lived experience of people that the economy is in no way doing well. And I'm surprised because, I mean, there's people I respect, the Robert Kuttners of the world and others who have made some very strong contributions. Even they use the Biden language of how well things are going, even Sister ALC. It's, 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 it's pretty good. It's going well. What are you talking about in terms of the housing? What are you talking about in terms of the, the, the fear of being attacked, escalating attacks? What are you talking about in terms of the betrayals that are taking place of leadership vis-a-vis -vis people who are depending on them? Those are crucial factors. But in some ways, you know, brother, they are intangible. You know, you don't, they're, they're immeasurable. And so the economists, you know, they specialize in rendering invisible the immeasurable and the intangible. They just want the statistical, the measurable. Well, no, life is not like that. Not like that at all. And when you actually look at not just the economy, but the experiences of people, the levels of contempt and hatred and greed and avarice and envy and resentment, and people say, oh, well, you know, those are, uh, they're not political. They are profound. They have profound political consequences. That's how fascism emerges, to manipulate that fear, manipulate that resentment and that envy and scapegoat the most vulnerable rather than confront the most powerful and render invisible the rule of big money, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, the rule of big military. Pentagon and so forth. That's what fascism is. And then you get the elimination of any democratic processes with elections and so forth and so on. And so, and that's very much where we're headed. I mean, the reason part of this debate these days has to do with how do we effectively resist fascism, pointing it out, acknowledging it, and then ripping the roots out of it so it cannot live. And I'm thoroughly convinced that the Bidens and the Democratic Party do not constitute a substantive countervailing force against Trump's escalating fascism. Now, some people come right back to me and say, oh, but Brother West, don't you realize that Biden is fascist too? Biden is more fascist than Trump. And you say, oh, my God, this fascist element has been built into the American Democratic experiment. Ask our indigenous brothers and sisters. Ask my descendants brought from Africa on slave ships and slave plantations. And so ask the workers' movement crushed by Pinkertons, crushed by private armies when they tried to organize in Ohio and Illinois. Ask women in terms of the vicious forms of violence. Ask gay brothers, lesbian sisters, and trans. Yes, there's always been these fascist dimensions. But I do draw a distinction between the wholesale fascism in which the elimination of shows like what we have right now, the complete right. elimination of elections, wholesale dictatorial rule 
You see, that to me is a much more intense and broader and thicker form of fascism than we have now. When people come back to, well, brother, well, we live in the most fascist society now, and it would even get worse than that. I said, well, okay, I, I understand the gradation, but I, my language is one in which I talk about fascist, strong fascist elements and dimensions versus wholesale fascists. And I'm convinced without an alternative. That's why the Green Party, that's why this campaign, nothing but a moment in a movement. That's very important to keep in mind because I'm a movement person. I don't believe in electoral politics ever being the fundamental site, the fundamental transformation. In fact, I used to, we used to talk about in the 1960s that if you could fundamentally change America by means of the vote, it would be rendered uh, uh, illegal overnight. There's something to that. That's how ruling classes behave. You only right. get fundamental change when you put people in motion. And that's right. very much what this campaign in part is about. I'm sorry to uh, go on so long and you kind no, of so long. You but. keep going. Uh, <laughs> let's bring up, obviously, you had a, a contentious interview the other day with one uh, Jimmy Dore. I'll leave my thoughts about Mr. Dore to the side. Uh, not really relevant. But I will say I do uh, – I really – have for a long time thought that this whole race first class, I don't know if you would call it a debate in the left or just uh, a false dichotomy, uh, is the wrong debate to have. Uh, I, I really did some research this morning and I wanted to read to you uh, two quotes that I think really yeah. uh, illuminate something here. Uh, I'm sure you've uh, watched the film 13th by Ava Duvernay about the 13th Amendment. Yeah. And in it, uh, Michelle Alexander, obviously a a renowned author and uh, legal scholar, uh, activist, she said something that really stood out to me. She said, uh, this is, you know, after uh, the abolishment of slavery, uh, and obviously they created, you know, (laughs) a new slavery, economic slavery. She said, laws were passed that relegated African Americans to a permanent second class status, keyword class status. Uh, I thought that was very powerful and shows that there is no class versus uh, race or talking about class on one day and race on the other day uh, because black people were never part of the same class that I have been privileged to be about. Uh, The second thing I wanted to read, uh, which is an ugly quote, but we shouldn't sugarcoat it. This is from uh, Lee Atwater, who was obviously Reagan's uh, chief strategist, uh, known as you know some of the lowest of the low in terms of uh, political strategy. And uh, Lee Atwater, talking to some reporters, thought he was off the record back in 1980. Uh, he said on the Southern strategy, he kind of let the cat out of the bag. You start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. By 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. It backfires. So you say stuff like, ah, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes, and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is blacks get get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing and a hell of a lot more abstract than N-word, N-word. And I bring these up because, you know, Jimmy said to you, uh, meet people where they are. 
or, uh, you know, why white supremacy is identity politics. Well, isn't the whole point of running a movement or trying to do something that's never been done, you know, a third party president, isn't it trying to persuade people where they are? Your uh, thoughts? Absolutely. No, I, I think you say it well, though. You know, I think we need to take very seriously the case of Tom Watson. You remember Tom Watson, the great C. Van yep. Witt wrote a wonderful dissertation on him. He was one of the most serious, sincere populists trying to bring black and, and white workers together. He actually would stand there with his gun protecting black farmers because he was so committed to multiracial populist uh, uh, politics. It took a lot of courage to do that. Now he ends up one of the grand wizards of the Ku Klux Klan. Now, how do you account for Tom Watson's shift? Well, one of the, one of the reasons, ways he accounted for it himself was this multiracial thing is never going to work. White supremacy cuts too deep and I'm still against the elites, but I'm going to conform to where they are now without pushing them. And therefore, I'm going to be a xenophobic populist rather than a serious progressive multiracial populist. Now, we know, I mean, Brother Jimmy's anti-racist and his sensibilities and so forth. There's no doubt about that. He's been very helpful to a whole host of black folk. I didn't, as you could tell, I didn't like his attitude at all. I didn't like his tone uh, over time. We started with a certain respect, but it tended to uh, uh, decline after that. And I don't have any any patience for the most folk. Folk who just kind of pontificate to tell you I'm the coach, I'm the advisor, this is what you ought to do. Who's advising you? Well, I think for myself, but I shouldn't have to say that because you think for yourself. Ba 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 ba. But I use the Watson example as an extreme example because we know white supremacy cuts so deep that you have a choice of either conforming or hitting it head on with your class politics. You don't give up on class just because you're talking about white supremacy. And if you reduce talk about white supremacy or male supremacy or transphobia or homophobia just to identity politics, then you're missing the point. Identity politics is a neoliberal project that's a class war against poor and working people. But you have a class-informed, class-written politics that hits white supremacy head-on, male supremacy head-on. That's not narrow identity politics. That's what it is to be a decent and moral person concerned about structures of domination. And white supremacy deeply overlaps with forms of patriarchy and forms of capitalist exploitation of workers and so forth. But it also has its own relative autonomy, too. And so when he says, well, you know, you can't uh, you got to talk only about economic issues. That's why Bernie took off. And that's the only way you're going to take off. And then in the end, just say, I'm a loser. I said, well, OK, brother, you're too far at that point. Nah, wait, wait, wait. Nah. I know we're supposed to be on the same side here, but if you can talk about Tucker Park, you can talk about Brother Tucker and Tucker when he talks about George Floyd. First thing he talks about is his record. Well, what about the suffering, brother? What about the police committing this vicious lynching and crime? So Tucker might have some populist dimensions. Wonderful. Love Tucker. Been to Africa with him. But if he was going to look at these various cases, same would be true with trans and women. If he looks at them and can't identify what they're suffering, I've got a critique and an indictment. 
He said, well, you'll never win. You never win. Well, what, what, what do you mean by winning here? If winning is on the way to Tom Watson in his latter stage, I'm not headed there. Ever. And of course, I will never ask for anybody's permission, white, male, whatever they are, as to whether I ought to be raising my voice against vicious forms of white supremacy. And it's not simply because of skin pigmentation. I well, also, I'd like about, about forms of oppression in other parts of the world is not connected solely to just race. I'd like to ask you also, uh, I can't get in his head, but I took yeah. away. It seemed that he was conflating uh, talking about white supremacy with identity politics. And to me, those are two very different things. Uh, can you can you talk about, you know, what you consider to be identity politics versus vital life or death matters, which white supremacy obviously is? Well, one is anybody who only talks about race independent of the way in which white supremacy has been interwoven within predatory capitalist processes or anybody who talks about gender without connecting it to capitalist modes of production or sexual orientation and so forth when you separate race and gender and sexual orientation from capitalist processes which is talking about class then you're on the way to neoliberal politics, which constitutes a class war against foreign working people, what I said before. But for him to somehow think that to raise the issues makes you necessarily a loser in your, in your campaign because you're not in any way speaking to the Trumpites who are following him. Of course, the point I made was what? The Trumpites are not homogeneous either. They're not monolithic. When I, eight of them voted for Bernie, one out of 12 voted for Barack. I could spend a whole lot of time with Trumpites. We can talk about a lot of things, music, sports, then we get to politics and they talk about how great Trump is. And I said, no, he's a, he's a, he's a neo-fascist Pied Piper. Oh, you shut down the conversation. That's not true. People appreciate the honesty. Just right. because I call him that name doesn't mean I'm calling them a name. I, I, I wait and see what they have to say. But you know, it's funny. Kennedy, it's funny you say that, actually. You're fascist. You've written off his whole movement. You're losing. No, that's not true at all. On the ground, the interactions are different than the critique of the leader. I'm honest about the leader. It's funny you say that, because in 2016, I was really shocked, actually. I was traveling around. I saw you speak for Bernie at a lot of events, and I would interview Trump supporters uh, a lot of the times at his rallies, and I'd ask them, who's your number two? And I'd expect, I don't know, Ted Cruz or, or one of these other clowns. And a lot of them said a lot of them said Bernie. Absolutely. And a lot of them said, I don't agree with him on most, but that guy means what he says. And the authenticity really mattered despite some policy agreements. And you said uh, in your interview with Jimmy, you got to be authentic. That's exactly right. In fact, even when I, my, my wife and I, bless it, Anna, we walked through the airport and you have a number of Trump folk come up to you and say, you know, uh, Professor West, I, I'm very far right and Trump's a hero of mine, but I appreciate you on Fox News. It seems as if you're speaking from your heart and soul, and we just don't have people who are speaking from their heart and soul. And and it's not as if I disagree with everything, but I do have many disagreements. I said, I can understand that. Now, see, that's different than Trump. We don't assimilate those folk to Donald Trump himself. Donald Trump himself was a particular individual chosen to be a gangster, chosen to avoid accountability across the board and uses himself as a kind of pseudo-populist and a voice for folk who are 
thoroughly frustrated, thoroughly desperate, looking for an alternative to the Democratic Party. And that's exactly where this campaign comes in. We have an alternative vision, movement, trying to create an instruction party so that it would be a strong countervailing force against the worst of that Republican Party, which is now the Trump hegemony of that party. And not only that, but things are so contingent, man. I mean, things are happening. We don't even know whether Trump's going to be the candidate. We don't even know whether Biden's going to be the candidate. What's no labels up to? Well, no labels already give you a sense. They ain't got no labels. They give you a sense of <laughs> they're going to be thermometers rather than thermostats. You know, they're just going to check and see what the climate is and reflect it rather than shape it. But we've got to be thermostats. We're trying to shape how people view the world, shape the climate of opinion. And the good news is Brother, we got a rich tradition that's been talking about these issues a long time. See, Paul Robeson didn't just talk about economic issues. Du Bois didn't just talk about economic issues. Ella Baker didn't just talk about economic issues. They talked about class and its connection to patriarchy and white supremacy. And of course, Ella Baker connected it to the independence movement in Puerto Rico. And Sinclair Drake connected it to decolonization in Africa the way Du Bois did. We got traditions of this. And I think part of the challenge in our contemporary debates is we got to be more acknowledging and knowledgeable of those great ones who came before who wrestled with these issues. So that this class versus race, as you said, Oh, that's just too narrow. And if it's just a matter of some political strategy of Bernie talking about economic issues and not doing this, no, there's larger background conditions of analysis and visions and how do you sustain tensions? There's always going to be tensions in a movement. That's what movements are, the movements of human beings. There are no human beings without tensions in that regard. But we want to do it in such a way. This is where I do uh, uh, acknowledge what happened between me and brother Jimmy. Remember, started on a very high note with respect and so forth. Went through all kind of ups and downs. And we still had to say, you know, he loved me and I love him, especially his family and so forth. I mean it. I really think he means it. But the clash is real. And when you're dealing with folk who, especially myself, I can only speak for myself, that uh, no matter how much I talk about love and what have you, that I have a righteous indignation of any form of arrogance and condescension. You can ask Harvard presidents about that. <laughs> I, I simply, both Larry's, brother Larry Summers, brother Larry Bacow. You know, I, I just can't stand a certain kind of arrogance, but it's just not white arrogance, black arrogance too, woman's arrogance to any kind of arrogance that I just wasn't constituted that way. You know what I mean? That's, that's not me. Now, let but me ask you, let me ask you, not just uh, catering to Trump supporters. You say you're going to go into Trump country. Uh, right. Let's talk about, you know, to, uh, your message to Trump supporters, but also some right wing Democrats that are more, you know, uh, conservative Democrats. We're talking, you know, the kind of neoliberal. Uh, they like their tax cuts. You know, they like their deregulation, but they'll throw the LGBTQ flag up. Uh, what would be your message both to. Uh, those kind of voters, as well as the Trump voters, uh, who, in the case of the Trump voters, uh, they one of the things that Trump and the Republican Party have expertly done is distract them or hoodwink them into thinking that the transgender boy is why your standard of living is changing 
or the Mexican or the migrants uh, are, are why uh, your life is shitty. Not Wall Street that's purchased your government. <laughs> Not the corporations that are writing the trade deals, sending your jobs offshore. What would be your message going into Trump country? Because he said you were leading with identity. I, I don't see that. All, all mm -hmm. I hear you talking about is poverty, uh, is talking about Wall Street corruption, et cetera. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the call for the abolition of poverty, abolition of homelessness, supporting workers' movements, especially the most militant wings of the trade union movement, uh, asking for fairness vis-a-vis -vis greedy bosses, and keeping in contact with the 63% of fellow citizens who live paycheck to paycheck and trying to explain to them why they are brokers of Ten Commandments financially given corporate greed and the need to render that greed visible, accountable, and massive redistribution of wealth from the well-to-do to working and poor people, especially imperial policies in which 57 cent for $1 goes to the military, why we need to dismantle the empire, 800 military units around the world, resources that could be invested in Medicare for all, free education across the board, quality housing to get control of these greedy real estate developers, and in so many ways, a, a certain kind of uh, spiritual and moral note, which is to try to get beyond all of this thick hatred and contempt and try to have a leadership that's associated more with statespersons rather than garden, garden variety politicians who were bought off by big money. Because the distrust as, long, as well as the despair goes hand in hand with the poverty and the paranoia and be able to then say, well, you're concerned about crime. We understand. How do you ensure we can create social, economic, political conditions, especially jobs with a living wage, especially quality housing, especially dot, 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 Medicare for all, those kinds of issues. But you do it in such a way that you have a holistic vision because people don't live by bread alone. I don't want to get too biblical here, but there's some insights in the Hebrew scripture and, and, and in some of these religious scriptures. People don't live by bread alone. Bread is a necessary condition, but they also want quality relations. They also want to be recognized as human beings with a dignity and a decency and a sanctity. And so, and we don't have that kind of leadership. I think one, probably 90% of fellow citizens would agree that our politics are in the language of the great Saul Bellow, who's one of our great comic novelists. I don't agree with his politics, but he's a literary giant. Politics is low comedy. And low comedy is just a matter of the lowest common denominator tied to what? Greed, hatred. That is the lowest common denominator of each and every one of us. The greed in us, the hatred in us the insecurity in us, the fear in us, the anxiety in us. And if that's the only thing we appeal to, which politicians often do, as opposed to illusions and lies about how great the country is as it's undergoing decay and dissolution. No, we have to engage the reality, accent. And as you know, this campaign is very much about reintroducing America to the best of itself. Begin with this brother here, John Coltrane. We could go to Rabbi Heschel. We could go to Edward Said. We could go to Dorothy Day. We could go to Cesar Chavez. 
We go, oh, America's had some magnificent folk, but their legacy pushed to the side. And what's in the driver's seat? Hatred institutionalized, greed organized, avarice rationalized. And that's a level of leadership that we just don't have. And I appeal, I, I try to use that to appeal to fellow citizens across the board. So people will say, well, Brother West, uh, I, I just can't take you, uh, I, I can't support you because you're a socialist. Well, you're right. You got me right. I am a socialist. Or somebody says, oh, I can't do it because you're a Christian. Well, I am a Christian. Well, I can't do it because you use that black language too much. And Malcolm X means something to you. Yeah, Malcolm X does mean something to me. That's who I am. I'm very honest and candid about that. But I'm also a person who is deeply concerned about your economic issues, your social relations, your spiritual qualities, and the capacity to make America a nation, a decent nation among nations, rather than an empire with total dominance that other nations must defer to. I'm anti-imperialist. I'm un unapologetic about that. I'm critical of capitalism, unapologetic. Hate white supremacy, male supremacy, unapologetic. Will not stand for trans being degraded, or gays and lesbians and so forth. Will not stand for Jews or Palestinians or Arabs or Muslims or Dalits or Roma, whoever, to be degraded and treated as if they're less than human beings. That's Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy. I'm just a small footnote to that legacy, but still swinging, brother. Still swinging, I tell you that. And let me ask you, you know, just bottom line brass, brass tackle, brass knuckles. Uh, in an ideal world, if uh, you became president, let's say it could happen. Well, let's, let's speak reality. This Congress ain't going to do anything. Uh, the only way you're going to get some type of Medicare for all, cutting the Pentagon budget, closing down, uh, you know, military bases around this world, a, a climate emergency and at least 10 to $15 trillion in money towards the climate emergency. I could go on and on, uh, right. you know, ending private prisons uh, is through executive action. Uh, right. They'll scream. They'll scream on both sides. Dictator West. Uh, the lawsuits will be humming. And a lot of that will go to the Supreme Court. So how does a jazz man like you, a, a president West, uh, obviously you wouldn't want to be a dictator, but I assume you're not afraid to use the pen. How would you get bold, uh, policy through in a corrupt Congress uh, with lobbyists, uh, not in your White House, but lobbyists outside the gates. Well, the thing is, is that can you imagine? I mean, a lobby, a lobby-free Congress is 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 such an oxymoron at the present moment, given how deeply saturated uh, uh, the, the lobbyists are in the shaping of public policy. Same would be true with big pharmaceutical companies, vis-a-vis. Uh, policy in regard to public health and so on. But there's two things. One, there's a bully pulpit. As I said before, see, the social movement would have to be strong enough to keep the pressure on me as well as Congress to give me some room to maneuver, even as I'm a part of that social movement. And the second one would be, I would be robust in terms of the use of executive order given the deep entrenched interests which are at work in Congress. And they could charge me with you know, un unconstitutional. I'm not going to go beyond the Constitution in any ugly way, but even the Constitution itself 
oftentimes have been shaped by corporate interests. And I say, no, if I, if I think the people's interest is actually being crushed, I'm going to stand up for that and let's take it to court. I'm not going to be overthrowing all of the laws and all the courts, but let's take it to court. Let us reveal how the criminal justice system and the court system itself has been a rationalization of the rule of corporate power vis-a-vis working and poor people. That's part of the bully pulpit. That's part of the educational dimension of being a statesperson. I don't even call it a politician in that. It's really, it's a statesperson. And uh, we just haven't had enough in this country. Uh, Lincoln himself, given all of his white supremacist sensibilities and so forth, given his support of sending black people in various parts of Latin America, because he didn't think that black and white people could ever create a multiracial democracy, he grew. Frederick Douglass called him a slave hound from Illinois one year, called him a friend on the other. Lincoln grew. What did he have to do? He had to educate his fellow citizens. We started just preserving the union. Now we're going to break the back of this barbaric slavery. And the 200,000 black soldiers, the brothers who will join our army, they're going to be part of that army. We're going to have to grow. It's going to be painful. We're going to have to mature. You see, he's probably the last states person we've had when you think of the uh, the low quality of leadership of the country. I know a lot of people crazy about FDR and, of course, right wing crazy about Reagan. But, uh, you know, Reagan and FDR are to Lincoln uh, uh, what um, what would be a nice a nice thing. Though? It would be what uh, Pat Boone is to Curtis Mayfield. Hmm. And, Lincoln, and Lincoln is vanilla, and he ain't close to Curtis, given the standards that Curtis set. But he's a great statesperson, given his own limitations. And we need Lincoln-like figures who, again, character, integrity. Look at Lincoln from the vantage point of indigenous peoples. He's an imperialist. He is. From the vantage point of Mormons, deploys an army against the Mormons. He's a militarist. So everybody has sides that from a certain angle look differently. I don't want to deny those dimensions of Abraham Lincoln. And yet at the same time, from the vantage point of how do you preserve a very, very precious democratic experiment with a vicious imperial backdrop with indigenous peoples and workers subordinated and so on. Women still confined to private households. I want to keep track of that side of Lincoln as well when you talk about U.S. presidents. You know, I also think you mentioned uh, the bastardization of the criminal justice system. Uh, One of the things I'm sure people would like to know is uh, what would you do to actually put some criminal teeth into breaking the law. And what I mean by that is if the Sackler family pumps Oxycontin throughout the country, killing hundreds of thousands of people, will there actually be criminal penalty for that? If Wall Street banks tank the global financial economy and destroy millions of lives, foreclosures, suicides, uh, steal your retirement, your 401k, if fossil fuel companies leak Toxic oil in waterways, air, killing animals, land, our our, commun- our system. I mean, I could go on. If Norfolk Southern detonates uh, a, tr- a train of toxic chemicals over uh, East Palestine, Ohio, can we get some criminal? I mean, Flint, Michigan, we're going on 10 years. Not one, not one person in the government has even faced a jury, much less uh, 
we have a system here. If you union bust, maybe you pay a fine. There's no jail time. What would you do? Because to me, in addition to the criminal justice reform that gives equality to black people, Hispanics, indigenous people, we need one that gives equality the opposite way, where corporations and the elite are going to face some real criminal penalty. That's exactly right, though, brother. Right? And you could just see how far removed we are from your egalitarian vision and analysis, the ways in which the criminal justice system still reproduces such high levels of injustice. Uh, but I think it's always important to begin with yourself. You know, that at, at, if, when I uh, make my way to be head of the American empire with all of its crimes and barbarities, as well as with some of the best that's limping along. If I engage in dropping drones on innocent folk like Bush, like Obama, like Trump and others, I'm a war criminal. I need to go to jail. And I tell the people that, that my critiques of these presidents as war criminals killing innocent, precious, dignified human beings in the name of some national security is a crime against humanity. If I started rationalizing the subjugation of Palestinians, given what's going on in the West Bank and so forth, you see, I need to be radically calling the question the same way I radically call into question Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, and so on. And so it's not just a matter of the name calling and the finger pointing. We know the inside of trading market manipulation, fraudulent activities, predatory lending of Wall Street. I mean, Wall Street gangsters were running, they're out of control. Many, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds, not one at the top, take any responsibility, just like Flint, just like other examples in which poor and working people's rights have been violated, their humanity called into question and so on. And so even though, again, no, 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 none of us are pure, we're all going to fall short. Even when we fall short, we have to call it for what it is, not in any way deny it, not in any way rationalize it, or not in any way engage in our usual Machiavellian move, which is, well, it's just a matter of optics and pragmatics rather than genuine moral concern about the suffering of poor and working people, the most vulnerable ones who have to bear the cost and the weight of the suffering as the criminal justice system continues to proceed along as if it has some deep commitment to justice. You have to just call that for what it is though, brother. Very much so. And uh, I know you've spoken on this before, but I, I'd like to know if you if you get uh, more uh, potential chances with the corporate media. Uh, let's say you got on a debate stage. You know, Ross Perot back in the day got on the debate stage. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the uh, major issues right now is Julian Assange. Uh, yeah. He is, you know, withering away as a political prisoner. Uh, it's a human rights issue. It's a journalistic issue. Uh, we also should mention Leonard Peltier, uh, been in prison for nearly 50 years, Native American. Uh, brother that, Jamal yeah. and Brother L. Hameen, who used to be known as H. Rap Brown. I just wrote an introduction to the pamphlet of his just a few years ago. He's still there in Arizona. There's a number of folk who I'm thoroughly convinced are innocent. Right. 
So what, uh, what's your message? Because I'll tell you, I think a lot of uh, Trump voters and neoliberals, out of sight, out of mind, might, might not even know who these people are. Uh, yeah. Will you be running on justice and actual uh, criminal justice for political prisoners? Oh, absolutely. First, we have to tell folks we still have a number of political prisoners in our prison system. You tell them a story about COINTELPRO. You tell them a story about Black Panther Party. You tell them a story about leftists. You tell them a story about blacklisting of communists and socialists. This is part and parcel of American history. And then those still alive who are still paying the cost. Give them a face. Put Mumia's face on television right. to tell his story, why I wrote two introductions to his books, not just because he's my friend and my brother and my Conrad, not just because I agree with everything he says, but because I'm thoroughly convinced he's innocent and his voice is a very important voice. Very much so. And let's be honest too, you know, this wonderful book by Jesse Jackson Jr., The Finger of God, that talks about the pardon power of the president. And that pardon shouldn't just be well-known persons. It should be a lot of folk who have been forgotten, who are innocent, who are rotten in these barbaric spaces we call the mass incarceration regime in America. And that pardon power is real. But Julian Assange be, would be one of the first, similar so with Brother Snowden. Right. And uh, obviously you've talked about the Ukraine war. I want to ask you, uh, you know, got to be careful what I say, but bottom line, uh, if you got in there, other folks who have tried to go against the military industrial complex have not, uh, it hasn't turned out so well for them. Uh, we, we know <laughs> we can name a few. They get shot down like those. Right. Uh, what, you know, what is your message within, uh, obviously, you know, maybe you're not afraid, but, uh, how do you even start, uh, with, uh, a Pentagon that literally doesn't have to pass an audit? Uh, with over a thousand military bases around the world, uh, with even though we got out of Afghanistan, we got a whole mercenary private contractors there and we're starving them uh, with sanctions, starving half the world with sanctions. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot have even tried. Uh, but what would you do as president? Uh, where do you even begin uh, trying to cut back on uh, the military industrial complex? Well, again, bully put on the one hand social movements on the other. But keep in mind, my brother, anytime anyone has the audacity to say that they're running for truth, and the condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak all around the world, and running for justice. And justice is always the first casualty in war, in politics, often in the legal system. You see, Martin King said, I'd rather be dead than afraid. And Sister Mary Ellen Pleasant said, I'd rather be a corpse than a coward. You got to believe that. You see that. So you have to be willing to pay a cost, any cost. And if all they can do is kill you, then you become an example. At least you tried to bear witness to an integrity and honesty so that others who come after will be empowered by your work and witness and your death. There's nothing wrong with being willing to die for something that's bigger than you that has to do with empowering other people catching hell. And that your example, always imperfect, always fallible, becomes part of the wind at their back. I'm going to die anyway. 
I got my cemetery clothes on. I'm coughing ready every day. So you just letting folk know, if all you all can do is kill me, then we really going down because this ain't about me. This is about a whole wave of people, not just in America, but around the world who are trying to reshape the world in such a way that people can live with some sense of decency and some sense of dignity. And so you're absolutely right. That you, you, well, you, you, you don't sell out, you don't cave in, you don't give up, and you recognize that you got a joy that the ruling class and the racist and the sexist and the others can never take away. You got a joy that the whole world can never take away. And that right. joy is rooted in the memories and the witness that you've already lived in the struggles that you've had with oppressed folk over against oppressors and then recognizing in the end that uh, not a matter of being self-righteous about this. A lot of the things that I'm talking about still inside of me, the hatred and the greed that has to be reconquered every day, as Gerdes Faust put it, reconquered every day. We try again, fell again, and fell better in the language of the great white blues man, Samuel Beckett. Try again, fell again, fell better. And uh, I'd like to ask you specifically about Biden, and I'll try to be nice because it's Bernie's birthday, 82 years old today. But uh, I think... I birthday yeah, it is. I just read that. I think Bernie made a lot of mistakes, and one of them was letting yeah. Biden lie through his teeth about his civil rights record. You got Biden going around saying he, uh, what did he, he said he went to South Africa when uh, Nelson Mandela got released. Got arrested and so forth. Right. Uh, obviously, he, to this day, has never apologized for the crime bill. Even Bill Clinton has apologized. Even Bill Clinton has uh, said he was wrong. Uh, he has, uh, you know, made up stories about marching during civil rights. Uh, we talked earlier, he is losing black support. Not, not that that's the only thing black people care about, but, uh, right. do you have a message that will be critical of Biden on race and his record, uh, with the black community? Oh, there's no doubt about it. You know, as an architect, not just the crime bill of 94, but 86 and 88, 91 and 94, and the alliance with Strom Thurmond and John Stennis and others in regard to busing as well as uh, the mass incarceration. That's one of the crimes against humanity. It's alongside the invasion and occupation of Iraq. It's a crime against humanity. Uh, they're tied to militarization, the, the military abroad and a militarizing of relations of black folk at home. Uh, uh, so I'm very, very explicit, upfront, consistent about the critique of Biden. But again, it's not a critique of race in and of itself, the critique of race as it connects to capitalist processes, as it connects to the deep economic issues, again, the ways in which class and race and gender are so intertwined. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, we have to be able to uh, create a united front against the, uh, the powers and all of their forms that be, that highlight the greedy bosses, but are tied to the white supremacists and male supremacists and others. Great so. segue. It's a great segue. Obviously, there's a, a, a real resurgence, I would say, of the labor movement in this country. Uh, yeah. It's been decimated. If we got the chart, yeah. Colin, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a coincidence. If you look at this chart, 
Uh, as the labor movement has gone down in this country, uh, income inequality has gone way up. <laughs> that red line is union membership uh, tanking uh, <laughs> over the last 30, 40 years uh, and all the money being stolen, uh, their labor going to the top. Uh, right now, we're six days away from a, a potential major strike of auto workers. Uh, I covered a strike uh, of GM workers in 2019. Uh, and every single time you see with these uh, events, uh, these corporations, you know, they do some creative accounting. They say we're giving you a 10% increase, this and that. But usually it's uh, they're, they're offering crumbs. Uh, they do not offer, uh, they do not get rid of the two tier systems, which uh, discriminate against temporary workers, et cetera. Uh, and just in the case of these auto companies, uh, Colin, if you have the numbers, uh, I mean, look at these numbers in terms of greedy bosses. You have the GM executive, Mary Barra, $26 million salary last year. Stellantis CEO, almost $25 million. Ford, $21 million last year. You look at the company's profits. Uh, Ford, $24 billion last year. GM, $21 billion. Stellantis, $18 billion. And I'm interviewing workers that are working two jobs. I'm interviewing workers that are uh, having to choose between medicine for their kids or groceries. I'm interviewing workers whose backs are literally breaking uh, because they got to work longer hours. And these are tough, dangerous jobs. Uh, what is your view, by the way, of this newfound militancy? Uh, the new UAW president doesn't seem to be messing around. Uh, he says uh, we want nearly 50% wage increases. He's given the numbers in terms of how much these CEOs have enriched themselves. And he has said we are ready and willing uh, to strike as long as it takes. I think it's a marvelous new militancy, my brother. I think of my dear brother Stanley Aronowitz, my dear sister Barbara Ehrenreich. These are my close companions and comrades of years past who was looking for this militant insurgency of the labor movement. I see Brother Sean and the others, and I say, ah, yes, let us continue. And I know it has to do with the workers themselves putting pressure on their leadership. So leadership matters indeed, but it's the movement that puts pressure on the leadership. And when you have a leadership of courage and vision and integrity, you respond. You don't become complicit with the bosses. You don't come up with negotiations and settlements that you know do not do justice to your workers because class conflict and class struggle is integral to any capitalist society. It's gonna take place one way or the other. And usually it takes place in such a way that workers have to bear the brunt of it and pay the cost of it. That's part of the escalation of profits and CEO salaries and the wage, stags the wage stagnation that we've been dealing with for the most part in the last 45, 50 years. Uh, so that I think it's a beautiful thing. We all have to be a, a part of it in a fundamental way. And this is true for Amazon. This is true for, for Hollywood. This is true for hotel workers. This is true for workers across the board. But you know and I know very much like the black movement. You got neoliberal versions of the black movement that accommodate themselves to Biden and the Democratic Party. You've got a kind of business unionism. Uh, in the trade union movement that will easily accommodate itself to the Democratic Party and Biden and so forth. And so we end up with having to engage in a critique of certain trade union leaders who don't want to be as bold as those militant ones. 
Uh, just as we have a critique of black leaders or women leaders who don't want to be as bold and stay in neoliberal zones uh, uh, and don't want to be as bold vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Democratic Party, and then again overlook the fascist elements of certain policies of the, Demo of the Democratic Party as well. So I think it's a marvelous thing, and I plan to be the same is true next week with the uh, Climate Week in New York City. We're dealing with fossil fuel companies, greedy, myopic, short-sighted, willing to push the planet off the cliff for short-term profits. We have to raise our voices. We've got to show a united front across the board. I plan to be there as well. Same is true in Atlanta. Cop City, look what's happened with Cop City. Now they've criminalized even civil disobedience. Uhuru 3, Pendleton 2. We can go on and on and on in terms of the ways in which uh, 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 the Department of Justice has been used in such a way that uh, uh, it tries to let freedom fighters know you better not go too far. We want that fear inside of you. And as long as we have fear and feel intimidated and scared, we don't raise our backs. And you can't raise your back and be a serious freedom fighter. You just can't do it. And the UAW workers, I think next week, uh, I hope and pray, uh, get a chance to become exhibition A and B in this regard, in the same way that the 61 in Atlanta already exhibition pre-A and pre-B, because this right. is a serious, serious situation right now, very much so. And I think uh, the situation in Cop City, which we, we've been on the ground, uh, my colleague Tina Desiree Berg has covered it twice. Uh, I think that's a perfect example. I don't want to hear if Joe Biden loses, them blaming Cornell West in Georgia, when you got two Democratic senators in Georgia who haven't said a word about Cop City. You got a Democratic mayor who's pushing this through and hasn't said a word about them executing an environmental protester, Tortuguita, hasn't said a word about uh, charging people for jaywalking, uh, you know, with domestic terrorism. Uh, if you lose it, you're probably going to lose Atlanta with, with those actions. Democrats on the city council, most of them chocolate, most of them black and brown. Same thing. Where's the, where's the consistency? We see the hypocrisy. And yet they don't want to blame, you know, the, the Green Party. We are, you know, we're shooting for victory. And victory comes in a number of different ways, my brother. But the beautiful thing is, is that, uh, you know, in the end, man, uh, uh, people's love for their children and people's love for justice is unstoppable. We see it in concentration camps. You see it in internment camps. You see it in barbaric slavery. You see it in workplaces of, of capital domination. You see it among the trans dealing with straights who hate them. There's still, thank God, something in the best of the human spirit, given all of our wretchedness and cowardliness and greediness, there's still this spirit that says, we're going to fight to save the planet and life on it. We're going to fight for poor and working people. Well, it's got a chance of a snowball in hell this year. Who says that one year, five year, 10 year is the only litmus test? This is a movement over time and space and all of us have one life. And mm. the question is, how are you gonna use that life? 
What kind of joy? What kind of style? What kind of smiles? What kind of burden? What kind of sacrifice? What kind of service? What kind of fun? All in one life. And that's and you've my been last a wonderful question. example of that, Brother Jordan. You've been a wonderful example of that, man. I'm telling you. That's my last question. What is your measure of success? Obviously, you got on one end, people say you got no chance. On another end, you got people say burn it, burn it down, Dr. West. Uh, are you running to win the presidency? Are you running to create a movement that continues? Obviously, you know, Occupy Wall Street lived and then kind of died. Bernie's movement lived and then kind of fell off. Uh, he did not tap into his uh, movement to continue. Uh, what is your measure of success? Uh, because like you said, we don't know for sure if Trump is going to end up running. He could make a deal. We do not know for sure if Biden with uh, the poll numbers, his age and other things. Uh, crazier things have happened. Uh, we got over a year to go. Uh, what is your measure of success in terms of uh, what you're trying to accomplish? Well, I proceed on the notion that history is unfinished, incomplete, and open-ended. So we really don't know what's going to happen in a month, three months, six months. What we do know is if we choose integrity, honesty, decency, if we choose service to the people and love of justice that ties us to have solidarity with people who are suffering, then we will be consistent enough to be able to bear witness whatever the historical circumstances are. Under fascism escalating, same witness. Under fascism pushback, same witness. And so in that sense, winning is being able to Hold on to your integrity and honesty. Hold on to a concern and sensitivity to the suffering of others. If you do that, you've already in part one. Now I'm 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 running to hit the tape and be the head of the empire in order to dismantle it, to be head of a oligarchic experiment to reintroduce democratic elements to it, and to try to save the planet with a whole host of elites around the world because I'm part of international movement, Latin America, Africa, Asia, I'm in the center of the U.S. empire. We've got some good stuff here. we got some ugly, criminal, barbaric stuff here. And I got one life to live. And for me, it's a matter of holding on to some version of the moral and spiritual greatness this brother here, John Coltrane, Martin King, Fannie Lou Hamer, of Nina Simone, because I'm tied with the musicians much more than the politicians. I know you know that in that regard, you see, because they're free. They tell the truth. They're honest. They're candid. They're courageous. They're visionary. And they're generating different kinds of ways of touching people. Well, if our politicians were one-tenth as free, and as courageous and concerned about the suffering. We could have different kind of leadership. And maybe by doing that, we pass on to the younger generation, your generation and others, some example of what a movement looks like, of what serious struggle looks like, of what integrity looks like, and maybe even what a little style and smile looks like. Cause you got to keep fun in it though, brother. Yeah, I tell you. 
if, if, if it becomes a matter of no fun, no joy, you're not going to have a movement, man, because everybody got one life. Absolutely. And is your campaign right now looking for volunteers, looking for? Uh... Absolutely. And you always put it up the corner. What's 24 and so forth. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, but the uh, we, we thank God we've got I mean, thousands of volunteers. And as you know, it's just, just a matter of ensuring that the infrastructure and team that's on the move now. I mean, I'm shoot, I'm starting to make all these different calls, man. That's it's a little bit alien to me in terms of uh, fundraising, but we are on the move, very, very much so. But I know I got to let you run, though, man. I think I got this uh, 2:30 Zoom, but I think we went a little longer than we thought, and that's me. We said we're gonna do it in spirit, absolutely. But I salute you, though, man, and know that Anna Hita and I, we we just uh, we watch your show. We love your courage, your vision, and you just keep telling the truth. And pace yourself. I know you've always had certain kind of challenges, and you got precious loved ones and family. But you pace yourself, my brother. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, be well. I hope to see you. I'll be on the ground covering. Uh, the strikes, if it happens next week in Detroit. So I uh, hope you can make it uh, at some point because I think they'll be going on for uh, quite some time. Well, so thank you, Dr. West. Indeed. Salute you, my brother. Take your care now. Take care. Absolutely. Uh, so that was uh, Dr. Cornell West. I will get to all your super chats. Uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, obviously, people wanted to uh, talk about the whole uh, Jimmy Cornell uh, fracas uh, I wanted to get into it without the personality stuff. Uh, I, I don't think it's really a secret, my thoughts on Jimmy, so I don't really need to rehash that. Uh, but I think he answered it well. And I think that, uh, you know, I think it's the wrong debate to have race first class. I think you could accomplish, uh, I think you could have a strong message intertwining the two because they are connected. And in my experience uh, going around the country for eight years, I could tell you, even conservatives, you'd be surprised. I think there's this notion uh, uh, that Jimmy and others might have that uh, you lose them when, when you when you start talking about certain things, white supremacy, trans issues, this and that. It's not about uh, w talking about certain things. It's about how you talk about it. It's about what your angle is in talking about. It's about what dots you connect for people. Because in a lot of cases, people might believe something because they've been brainwashed to believe something. Uh, people might believe something because they've heard it on Fox News or MSNBC 24-7. Uh, and uh, when they first hear from a charismatic figure like Cornel West and, and others like him, uh, it might actually be the first time they're hearing something, hearing a certain message, hearing certain facts. So this whole idea of meet people where they are, I just reject that. You don't, uh, whether it's whether it's a black person who champions and fights for uh, freedom uh, an equality or an LGBTQ person, you don't kind of, you know, tone down certain parts of yourself for the political movement. Uh, that's not authentic. And that's just being a politician. You message authentically with your heart and head and try to persuade people, not just conservatives, neoliberals, not just neoliberals, libertarians, try to reach people that just have given up and don't give a fuck politically and have no labels. And I think court, uh, uh, I think Cornell West is in a unique position to do that. I'm not going to lie to you and say he's definitely going to win or has a strong chance to win. We haven't had a third party president in this country for a reason. 
Uh, it you think it's rigged in the Democratic Party? If Cornell West starts getting uh, momentum, they will rig it against Cornell West like you have never seen before. And ask any third party candidate that has run uh, for a president, local level, congressional level. Just look at Matthew Ho, uh, ran for North Carolina Senate. Hell, the Democrats rigged it against him and were making calls uh, claiming he was guilty of vote, voter fraud. Uh, so. I think Cornell West is doing the right thing. I don't buy into the spoiler bullshit. Bottom line is, I would say the overwhelming majority of people that vote for Cornell West probably would, would not vote if they didn't have Cornell West as an option. Uh, same thing with Jill Stein in 2016 when the numbers uh, were done after and data was collected. Uh, the overwhelming amount of Jill Stein voters said that if she was not an option, they would have not voted for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. I don't really see why it would be dramatically different for Cornell West voters. I also uh, truly believe, uh, you know, some people might say this is naive, but I believe this based on my observations. I've been all around this country over the last eight years. I've been to, at this point, almost 40 states, probably over 100 cities. Uh, again, I'm going to Detroit next week. By the way, if you're new here, subscribe to the channel. As far as I know, we're the only, only independent outlet consistently on the ground all across the United Corporations of America. We are in the trenches. We don't just pontificate from a studio. We get out there with no money from the big banks, no money from the fossil fuckers, no money from big pharma, no money from big real estate, Silicon Valley, the military industrial complex, or the corporate ghouls purchasing the Democratic and Republican Party. Our funding comes from you, five to $10 a month. So if you have $5 a month, which equals 16 cents a day, if you got $10 a month, which equals 33 cents a day, please support us. You don't have to agree with every political position I have, but I hope we all agree we need independent outlets out there on the ground, in the trenches, covering the strikes, continuing to cover American cities being poisoned by their government and then left to die. I, am, I have stayed on Flint as one of my life purposes, and it is going a decade now. They don't have clean water. Not one person has been sent to prison. Not one. They don't have Medicare for all. Same thing's now playing out in East Palestine, Ohio. My colleague Louis DeAngelis has been on the ground there four times in six months with your funding. We not, we're not independent wealth, independently wealthy. You, our members, have gotten us on the ground. We've sent Tina to Cop City twice. We break stories all the time on the ground. So please consider supporting us, statuscoup.com slash join, because it ain't easy. It ain't easy to do this real on-the-ground reporting. If Cornell West, if and when he begins doing rallies around the country, they could, they could complain and bitch at me for covering it all they want when I say they, bitch, uh, trolls on Twitter and the Democratic Party, I will cover Cornell West all over this country if I have the opportunity, but I need funding because it is not easy. It is expensive to do it. And I got to tell you right now, and I've been saying this for two years now, structural change in this country on health care, on climate, on police brutality, on corruption, on the minimum wage, uh, indigenous rights, uh, LGBTQ rights, disability rights, all these things, they are not coming from Congress. 
They are not coming from the squad. They are not coming from an extremist Republican Party. They are not coming from a corrupt Democratic Party. They are not coming from a right-wing corrupt Supreme Court. They are coming from outside movements like union organizing, worker strikes, mutual aid, tenants unions, which are starting to grow around this country and fighting back on on affordable housing, on slumlords uh, and mass evictions that are continuing. So this is going to be a massive strike. I hope I don't have egg on my face egg in my face in six days, but at this point, I do not see any scenario where an agreement is uh, made in six days between the UAW and General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. All the offers that have been made to the UAW have been insulting offers that are crumbs when the CEOs are still having cake and champagne. So I believe this strike is going to begin in six days. I will be on the ground to cover it because I promise you the corporate media that is on the ground to cover it will not be showing the perspective of the workers. They might do 20 to 30 seconds on the nightly local news uh, and the corporate media, CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, Washington Post, they'll be talking about how much this is hurting the economy, not telling you the stories of the workers, not putting the microphone in the face of the workers that have been screwed for 40 to 50 years in this country. I will be there. Status quo will be there on the ground. By the way, I'm also writing a book right now about the Flint water cover up. So for those who have said, Jordan, where you been? You're not live as much anymore because I'm writing a book. I also got a documentary uh, project possibly in the works. So there's a lot of things going on here uh, at Status Coup and with me. Uh, but please, please support us if you can. If you can't support us financially, that's totally okay. Uh, you know, just subscribe to the channel, share our work, uh, subscribe, um, follow us on Twitter at Status Coup. Uh, we're on Instagram as well. Everywhere, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those things. Uh, but I'm revved up. And you know what? I say vote for whoever you want. You want to vote for Cornell West? Vote for him. You want to vote uh, you know, for Biden? Vote for him. You want to vote for Trump? Uh, okay. Uh, it's not for me to tell you who to vote for. But I will say this. This whole not this time, it's too important. Uh, don't have a third-party candidate this time because we got to keep Trump out of there. Well, at, at a certain point, it's just that same old record spinning, a broken record. It's always not this time. The stakes are too important this time. This is the most important election of our lifetime. You heard this before? And I'm not minimizing Trump is a unique threat. Trump is a unique threat. Frankly, I'm no fan of Joe Biden, but I think it's laughable this the crazy bullshit Jimmy is saying and his ilk. Oh, Biden's a bigger fascist than Trump. There's different forms of fascism. There's plenty of corporate fascism coming from the Democratic Party and there's authoritarian white supremacist fascism coming from Republicans. But this whole who's more of a fascist than that? We have fascism in this country. I give you Standing Rock, which I covered years ago on the ground. That was fascism. The merging of the corporate state with the government to crush a peaceful protest led by indigenous people. What's going on in Cop City right now? Fascism. The persecution of Julian Assange? Fascism. Laws all around the country Republicans are trying to push to uh, um, uh, criminalize parents of transgender children, create laws that make it legal for you to run over protesters. Republicans have pushed this stuff in many uh, countries. Laws to 
make basically try to put gay people back in the closet. Laws that Republicans have been pushing for, for decades from ALEC and other lobbying groups. There's plenty of fascism going around. Half the shit DeSantis has done in Florida, as our uh, long-term viewer humorous likes to call it, the fascist country of Florida is fascist. And there's plenty of fascist things the Democratic Party is doing too. I, I mentioned the persecution of Julian Assange, which started with Trump. Right now in Cop City, they are literally arresting peaceful protesters for things like having flares or fleeing police and charging them with domestic terrorism. They have now charged, I believe, 50 to 60 protesters in, against Cop City with racketeering charges, completely bullshit charges. Uh, the censorship that has been pushed by the Democratic Party. And by the way, Republicans love censorship, too, when it benefits themselves. They're not anti-censorship. And by the way, Republicans aren't anti-war either. All they're talking about, Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Tucker Carlson, is get out of the war uh, in Russia and Ukraine. We need to get ready for the war against China. It's just not their preferred war. They still love war. They would love war with China. Uh, most of them are openly calling to build up against China, not to mention Iran. So spare me these leftists saying, oh, the Republicans are more anti-war than the Democrats. None of them are fucking anti-war. And, and by the way, uh, I think uh, Mr. Dorr might have forgot something. He said Trump didn't arm Nazis in Ukraine. Trump armed Ukraine twice as president. Let me repeat, Trump armed Ukraine twice as president. I don't often get to say a good thing about Obama. Obama did not arm Ukraine. He would not give arms to Ukraine. Trump did. And obviously Biden has. But this whole Trump didn't arm the Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, maybe he had one or two uh, too many beverages. Trump did. Look it up. He gave Javelin missiles and other weapons to Ukraine. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, folks, real change. And God bless Cornell West. I'm not going to lie to you and say I think it's, uh, you know, he's got a great chance to become president. It is a mountain to climb for a, a Green Party candidate, any third party candidate. With the system we have in this country, it will be nearly impossible. Can he get 5%? I think he can get 5%. Can he get higher than 5%? I think he can get higher than 5%. He is a dynamic, once-in-a-generation, charismatic, inspirational figure. I think he is appealing not just to black people, not just to poor white people, not just to religious people, because obviously he has a religious uh, faith to himself. I think he is uh, appealing to a lot of people that have given up altogether the largest group in America, the largest voting group in America, the non-voters. I think he could appeal to those because as far as I know, he's the only presidential candidate actually talking about poverty. Marianne Williamson talks about that as well, to be fair. But Cornell West has been talking about that for 40 years, 50 years. I think Cornell West can uh, appeal to a lot of these uh, disenfranchised or just checked out voters. But we also need to remember, as much as you love Cornell West, we should have learned our lesson with Bernie, the squad. No hero worshiping. 
ours, our rise or success as a movement of leftists or progressives or working class people or whatever you categorize yourself is not going to break through with one person getting elected to Congress or even one person getting 5% or become president. If Bernie was president today, tell you the truth, I don't think we'd have Medicare for all. He would try it through executive action and it would be stuck in court. Same thing with Cornell West. It would be a much better than what we have now. But my point is, I believe where change is going to come is brick by brick outside the electoral movement. That doesn't mean don't vote. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not saying don't run. You know, I think electoral politics is much more impactful on the local level where it could actually affect your life directly and you have a much better chance on the local level of changing things. But we need a movement between labor and the revitalized labor movement and all of us economic organizing. We're not going to get a general strike tomorrow, but if we start in our individual communities organizing economically, getting involved in tenants unions, getting involved in mutual aid, getting involved in boycotts of certain businesses in our community. If it's the grocery store that's jacking up prices and exploiting their workers, the local, ba the local bank, uh, then you go brick by brick by brick. You move up boycotting Amazon, Walmart. You, you also have to organize massive amounts of mutual aid and funds so that the workers who are hurt by those types of boycotts, we have that kind of money in the pot to support them. Let me get to the super chats. And by the way, please, again, consider supporting us as a status quo member for as low as five to $10 a month. It makes a huge difference. Obviously, if you don't have the money, we totally understand. But listen, an average trip for me with a cameraman to go to Detroit, for example, to cover the strike, I might even go across the border, that bridge from Detroit to Canada. I might even go across the border because if you don't know, Canadian auto workers, their contract ends five days after American auto workers, and they might go on strike. I would love to cover strikes in Canada too, but that's a whole nother can of worms and, and cost. So please, please, if you can, statuscoup.com slash join. Definitely will shout you out if you sign up while I'm still alive. Uh, let me hit the super chats here. Uh, Penny, uh, Penny Arcos, five bucks. How does one patriarch create crusade, Zionism, Jihad, vacation, Hitler, colon, colonialism, uh, Gene, the Ark, Quakers, KKK, MLK, Bernie, Putin, Biden, Ilhan, Tennessee, three and West. All right. I can't say I know exactly what you mean, but I appreciate, uh, the donation. Matt, $5. Thanks so much, Matt. Matt, another $5. Appreciate it, Matt. Uh, Penny, five bucks again. How much land, effing fuel, and H2O to mine? Uh, MNFR, market, maintain, and dispose of solar, wind, EV. How many New York City e-bikes this year? Gas prices up. Whose fault? Well, I think you could look at OPEC. <laughs> uh, gas prices are not just on the president, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Bebel, $9.99. Will Dr. West be doing more town halls and rallies? Dr. West, please update your website to bullet point your revolutionary message lifting my voice in salute and support of the spark you are lighting. Uh, we did talk about uh, him doing more rallies. He did say he's definitely going to be doing it, but wants to strike at the right time. So uh, that's really up to him and his campaign when he starts doing it. I say the sooner the better. Uh, it's after Labor Day and people are ready uh, to be inspired and ready to get involved. 
Uh, thanks so much for the super chat. By the way, thanks so much. New status coup member. Uh, Chris just signed up. Seal just signed up. And uh, Ah uh, Ahwal, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, uh, just signed up. So that's three new members. Welcome uh, to status coup. By the way, as a member, you also get access to our monthly uh, members call, which we do on Zoom every month. So once you sign up, you'll get the link uh, every time we do our monthly members call, which I believe we're going to do this month, uh, probably probably right before I go uh, to cover this. Uh, to, be, to be determined on, on the date for this month's call. Uh, Carpe diem, five bucks. Dr. West, who are your economic advisors? Who are you listening to regarding domestic and global economics? Are you familiar with modern monetary theory? Uh, according to what he told Jimmy, he doesn't really have... Um, advisors per se advising him i don't really think cornell west needs a lot of people to advise him on economics or uh you know trade issues or you know climate issues not that he's a expert on all things but i think cornell west already has uh both his opinions and uh his obvious uh policies uh you know ready to go uh i could ask him privately but i don't really think he's got a long table of, of advisors or anything uh, Aisha Lynn, five bucks. Dr. West, you handled yourself beautifully on the JD show. He wasn't hearing you out because he got triggered over one thing. Keep doing you, doctor. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I didn't really want to go like so directly into the Jimmy thing because obviously I've made my thoughts on Jimmy Dore uh, over the last year or two very clear. I don't need to rehash it. Uh, I'm not a fan. I will say whether it's Jimmy Dore or anywhere else, Anyone else, I, I don't particularly think it's a good look uh, for wealthy white men to be lecturing black people about how they should speak or message. <laughs> I don't think that's particularly a good look. Uh, I think it's pretty condescending, uh, pretty foul. Uh, whether he meant to do that or not, that's how it comes off. Uh, and what has he accomplished? Who, who made him uh, the campaign czar? What's his biggest political accomplishment other than pushing a fake political party onto his onto his viewers for the last six years? I'm talking about the movement for a people's party. So Cornell West should listen to him on campaign strategy. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, I was going to say, scroll up a little bit. You, it looks like you skipped over a couple of super chats and also oh, check uh, the private chat for additional stuff, too. OK, sorry. Uh, two, two, two. I don't think I missed any. Um, oh, I'll, pull, I'll pull it up here. Okay. Uh, Linda just signed up as a new Status Quo YouTube member. Thanks so much, uh, Linda. Really appreciate it. Uh, humorous, 20 bucks. Even if this man wins, uh, I'll see wins is the label of president. The ignorance in this country has voted in absolute stupidity that will not support anything this man tries to do. Our own Congress will destroy this man. I agree and disagree. Congress would 100% try to destroy Cornell West. That's why I asked them, just show us, show us the map. How would you get anything done through a corrupt Congress swimming with lobbyists and people, people you know, Congress people engaging in insider trading? Uh, how would you get anything done other than executive action, which if we're being real, for every executive action, within 10 seconds, there will be a flood of lawsuits, and eventually you'll just have stuff going to the Supreme Court. Um, so that is a tough question. But I think his answer, similar to what Bernie said uh, when asked, is 
have his movement at the front gates in front of Congress and in front of the White House. Uh, I mean, what else can you do uh, with a corrupt system? But if somebody like Cornell West were to do the unthinkable and become president, you would have to think those corrupt people, the Democrats in Congress, the Republicans in Congress, would maybe have to think twice, uh, maybe things are changing if Cornell West got elected. Maybe we have to rethink who we're taking money from. Uh, the fact that we spend 75% of our time off premises dialing for donations. Uh, thank you very much, Humorous. Another super chat, five bucks. Uh, the economy is not doing well because no one realizes that the economy is not money. It's the people. That's the economy on this planet. Beautifully said. I very much agree with you. Uh, Jasmine, five bucks. Student debt, mass hopelessness for financial well-being and the ability to start a family or see a future. I agree. I, I hitting myself now. I wish I would have asked them since the student debt repayment is beginning uh, just in a few weeks. Uh, that is going to be a massive, massive problem for millions of Americans who even when it was paused, were still barely surviving. Uh, even when the student loan debt repayment was paused, uh, they were barely surviving. So now you're adding that enormous uh, additional burden on millions of people. Uh, it is not going to be good. Humorous five bucks. People have to be willing to give up what they consider to be the norm to actually achieve the fantastic and excellent. Good luck with that. Notary, 1999. Dr. West, 2024. Thank you so much, Notary. Uh, Grasshopper, 10 bucks. The JD interview was a setup. He had a planned narrative agenda. It was trying to get this reaction. JD had vengeance and disrespected his eyes from the start. Who is he helping by disrespecting West? Uh, yeah, I'm in. Like I said, my thoughts on, on, on Jimmy are, are publicly available, uh, but I think Dr. West handled himself very well. And I also, frankly, just forget the morality of it, you know, telling someone tone down on the white supremacy and identity politics on a political, just political strategy. Uh, I don't actually think that's a winning strategy to just only talk about economics. That's not the only thing people care about. Yes, it is a massive, massive voting issue, normally the top issue in people's minds. But in an unorthodox campaign, like a third-party camp campaign by Cornell West, you're going to have to do things outside the box, and you're going to have to target and reach out to all different types of people. And not every single demographic you uh, reach out to will only care about economic issues. A lot of them will care about white supremacy. A lot of them will care about LGBTQ issues, disability issues, climate, um, COVID. Uh, you know, there's people suffering with long COVID. So, uh, and also there are economic arguments to make that race is connected to. I think he and others are very, very, very uh, either confused or ignorant on that topic when they try to just separate the two. Two, two, two. Uh, Mr. Adams, 10 bucks. Uh, the truth about the permanent war and too big to fail jail state sponsored corruption is what this campaign should be about. Nobody identifies as poor, LOL. Thank you very much. Fly, chomp, apply, $5. Econo economy seems well because people work two jobs, some sleep in cars, so they're, working they're a working statistic and spend money because they have to live, yet no home, no healthcare. Absolutely. The monthly jobs report does not measure the quality of jobs. It measures the quantity. The monthly jobs report does not measure how many jobs people are working. 
the monthly jobs report does not measure the gig economy. Are you a full-time nurse and drive and lift on your on your side time? Are you a full-time General Motors workers uh, and you know doing odd jobs? Doesn't measure any of that stuff. Robin, $20. Great interview. West is the only candidate to vote for. Why, thank you, Robin. I really appreciate that. Uh, Monte just became a YouTube member for Status Coup. Thank you so much, Monte. Uh, really appreciate it. Like I said, we are only going to grow as far as you, the viewers, take us. And I, I mean this humbly. We've been going since 2018. So this is our five-year five anniversary at Status Coup. I have never, let me repeat, never taken a dime from a corporation we have never taken a dime from a corporation. We have never taken a dime from a Democratic Party donor or a Republican Party donor. We have never taken a dime from big Wall Street, private equity. And I've had opportunities, I should say. I had two opportunities to take a lot. When I say a lot, I mean enough money to hire a real staff for me to work a lot less, for us to cover things more on the ground. But I knew the entities that were offering would try to significantly water us down. And I turned it down for that reason. So we do it the hard way. And I believe the right way and going through you. And some people say, Jordan, stop begging for money. Well, I'll keep begging for money in, unless you, until you plant me a money tree. Until you plant a money tree where I could just continually pull the pull from the roots, I will kindly and humbly ask you, beg you if I have to, to help fund real on the ground, let me repeat, on the ground, independent journalism, what I call justice journalism. Yasim, $3 super sticker with the cute puppy dog. Thank you. Uh, Donnie V, 20 bucks. Always love your show, Jordan, and love listening to Cornell. Keep doing great work. I appreciate it. Tony D, 499. This is the best news outlet. Much love to Brother West and everyone in the status quo community. Thank you very much. Denise Columbia, 20 bucks. Thank you for uh, being willing to fight for the people, Dr. West. Most who are willing do not have the platform to be heard. May spirit and all the forces of light guide your way to the White House. Uh, thanks, Denise. Appreciate that. Robert Copeland, uh, $5. Jordan, let me tell you, the reason why we have more homeless people is rent is going up faster than people's income. I've seen it. Everywhere I go, even in rural communities, you're seeing a lot more homeless people in major in major cities, you're seeing tense cities everywhere. And we've just become numb to it in this fucking hellscape of a country, i.e. the United Corporations of America. Uh, Kevin Wayne, five bucks. Cornell West 2024, vote green, let him scream. Thank you, sir. Shani, 499, super sticker. Thanks so much. Fly, Champa fly, two bucks. Some people want to know Dr. West's policy on the disabled. Uh, I will write that down to ask him. Uh, next time I have them on, uh, fly, chomp a fly, fly two bucks. Want a partnership between Dr. West and Pam Garrison, uh, Pam Garrison of the poor people's campaign in West Virginia. And Dr. West has been involved in the poor people's campaign for a very, very long time. Chris Garrett, five bucks. Give him hell in Detroit, Jordan. Sean Fain is a breath of fresh air. Isn't this man a breath of fresh air? I do say don't hero worship, but we do need to give credit where credit is due. Sean Fain. Uh, the new president of the United Auto Workers elected earlier this year is not fucking around. And he is carrying a big stick. He is making, I think, significant and righteous and fair demands of all these auto companies 
Uh, it might on paper say a 46% wage increase, but as he's pointing out, these auto workers have given back so much of their wages since the financial crash over a decade ago that they're not getting brand new 46% increase. A lot of that wage increase would be money given back to them that they gave up, money being given back to them through increases in health care that they have had to pay, uh, cuts to their pension that they have had to pay. And again, these companies, this is not capitalism. This is theft. These companies are stealing from their workers when the CEOs are making $26 million, $23 million, $21 million, when the companies are making $20 billion in profits, $13 billion in profits. That is theft. That's not a free market. That is a bank robbery. Grand larceny. And I can't wait to cover it. I And I very much hope to interview uh, Sean when I'm there. I believe I'll be able to. Uh, Knight Rider, 10 bucks. Keep up the great work, Jordan. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, Ayurvedicam. Hope I pronounced it right. Five bucks. Five bucks. Five dollars for five. Thanks for keeping a real status quo. Uh, a lot of good left channels out there, but status quo is unique. I'll add general strike now. Oh, if there is a God, I hope he's listening. Agree. Christina, 999. Great job as always. Thanks, Christina. Uh, Rene, 14 DKK. I don't know that currency, but I appreciate it. Super sticker. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Chris signed up at statuscoup.com slash join as a new member. Thank you, Chris. Matt donated $8 to our website. You could also donate through our website. That's statuscoup.com slash donate. Uh, as promised, I have found a few bucks to help the effort waiting for the UAW strike coverage. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, somebody tipped two bucks. Would you be willing to create a department within the Small Business Administration dedicated to helping communities and workers start up their own worker cooperatives from scratch, as well as assist in the transition from covering converting corporations into cooperatives? I guess that was for Cornell. Uh, I'll jot these down so I can ask him next time. Uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan, the climate march by the UN is tomorrow because I'll go speak to West. I would like to ask him some questions and give him some suggestions myself. And let's remind people how Trump, uh, Trumpers were so on board on how much they expected Trump would do, uh, for the black man from 2017 to 18. Trump was all I heard from them, how much he was going to do for us. I think it was about being happy. They had one of their own, uh, New member SEAL signed up, uh, statuscoup.com slash join. Uh, new member Ahwal signed up, statuscoup.com slash join. Uh, Matthew donated five bucks. Gratitude, he says, uh, through our website, statuscoup.com slash donate. Uh, Matt, uh, two, two, two. I think, all right, I think I got, oh, wow. A uh, $200, donation, $200 donation from Matthew uh, on our website, statuscoup.com slash donate. Thanks for continuing to report on East Palestine. We are being ignored and swept under the rug. Let me tell you something. Lewis, my colleague, thanks to you, our viewers and our members, particularly funding us and Lewis to continue to go back there. It's not profitable for us to keep covering things like Flint and East Palestine. Whenever we go, uh, you know, to these communities, in the case of Flint, nearly 10 years later, in the case of East Palestine, six, seven months or, uh, later, the views aren't there. We get a lot less views, a lot less engagement because 
YouTube doesn't recommend those videos anymore. Once the story is more than a couple days old, YouTube doesn't care anymore. They won't recommend it. We go anyway, because even if we only get 1,000 views, 1,500 views, it is important to stick with these communities, whether it's Flint, East Palestine, Kalamazoo, Michigan, which I've been covering environmental genocide there, East Chicago, Indiana, which I've covered uh, years ago and continue to stay on. I could, I could go on and on about the communities we stay on and have continued to stay on. Cop City, which we have continued to cover. Uh, the Amazon Union organizing, we covered it for over a year at Staten Island before they won. I was on the ground at Staten Island's warehouse in the fucking rain, in the heat, in the cold, when it did not look like they had a chance to win. We covered it when it was not sexy to cover, when no one else was covering it. And we continue to cover union organizing. So thank you so much. And again, if you're already a member but want to contribute more, you can donate uh, to help fund these trips at statuscoup.com slash donate. I'd say we got some more super chats if you want to scroll down there. All right. Losing my voice here. Um, two, two, two. Pat S, 10 bucks. I've been watching you since you started five years ago and still here watching. Thanks for all you do to get your viewers important information. Thank you so much for watching, uh, staying with us for the last five years. I really appreciate it. Terry, $10 super sticker. Thanks so much, Terry. Uh, Monte, 10 bucks. Plant that money tree. <laughs> I love it. Keep asking and keep going. It's a privilege to support your work. Thank you so much, Monte. Uh, Fred, $50. Holy cow. Looks like the strike is happening. All big three proposals were trashed. Isn't it a beautiful thing when a union president literally throws an insulting garbage contract in the garbage? Haven't seen that in many, many years, which is what Sean Fain, the UAW president, did. Uh, all these proposals are trash, and I very much look forward uh, to being on the ground to cover this strike. Cup of joy, 10 bucks. Thank you, Jordan, for a great interview with Dr. West. Refreshing after the contentious JD interview, you brought the best out of Dr. West. Why, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I don't think it's for me to tell a candidate how to run or tell a candidate, you know, hey, tone down all that talk about white supremacy and the gays. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I'll leave it at that. I thought that was a pretty horrible Horrible uh, interview, if you want to call it that. And uh, I, I, I did like that Cornell West, uh, you know, pushed back uh, as much as he did. Uh, let me see if I missed anything in terms of member signups here. Uh, all right, we got three new members on uh, our website. A couple members here on YouTube. Uh, before I sign out, let me remind you. Let me remind you. Um, we live in a fucked up multi-trillion dollar corporate conglomerate that is pretending to be a government. We don't have a government. We have a multi-trillion dollar machine that has been purchased by corporate America. That is why I call it the United Corporations of America, which by the way, you could get your United Corporations of America shirt at the statuscoup.com store. You could also get your Poison States of America shirt, your Capitalism shirt, your Got Water shirt, and a whole line of cool gear at statuscoup.com slash store. But at the end of the day, we're not going to change anything if all we do is bicker and go at each other on the internet. We got to get out there in the streets. Even if you're not involved in a particular company striking, support them. 
they want you at the picket lines if you can show up in Detroit or other places that UAW workers are on strike or other workers are on strike. Uh, obviously, you got the Starbucks workers still organizing, Amazon workers organizing. Uh, you had electric workers organizing in Pe uh, Pennsylvania recently. They just won. It is so important uh, to get involved, whether it's the union organizing, the worker strikes, mutual aid in your uh, community. Tenants unions are growing. These climate groups like Climate Defiance, which is disrupting all these uh, fundraisers and big speeches. They just disrupted a big Democratic Party fundraiser on, Mar on in Nantucket and shut it down. Whatever you can do. Obviously, not everybody can do these things because you might be working two jobs and or a single parent and you don't have time to pee, much less get involved. And all you can do is watch a show here and there. If that's you, that's fine. But if you can get involved, the only way that we're going to change anything is if we go beyond hashtags and we get out into the streets. And there is not, it is not a coincidence that the last time in this country that we had any type, any semblance of economic equality. And when I say that, I, to be clear, I'm not talking about for black people. I'm not talking about for Hispanic people. I'm not talking about for indigenous people because they never really were part of that economic equality. They were always left out. But the last time we had any semblance of a real middle class, the last time we had any sense of economic equality, where a CEO might make, you know, four or five times more than their worker, not 400 times their worker, where you didn't have, you know, 60% uh, of the income going to the top one to 5%. The last time we had that, which was around the 1940s to 60s, was when we had vibrant, strong labor unions. It is not unrelated or a coincidence that the conditions for the proletariat, for the worker bees in this country, have pummeled, have been in free, flaw, free fall, that the massive income gap has exploded as unions have been destroyed. That is not a coincidence. It is also not a coincidence that the French and people in French, in France, they go out and they protest like they're storming the fucking gates. They don't fuck around. Why? Because they have strong unions in that country. They have strong labor laws. They also have health care as a right. We don't have those things. So nothing major in this country is going to change until we start bringing back labor. It's not the only thing that matters, but it is a major thing. And that's why here, which is not a sexy topic. It's not as fun as the food fight. It's not as clicky as the food fight between YouTube hosts a and YouTube host B, but it's way more important covering labor and workers fighting back. And we are going to continue to do that. One more reminder, I will be on the ground next at the end of next week. If there is a strike, which I think at this point there definitely will be, I will be on the ground next week in Michigan, obviously the capital of the auto industry, Detroit specifically, statuscoup.com slash donate if you could help fund the trip. Uh, it's for myself and my cameraman. You got flights, hotels, rent-a-car, food. Statuscoup.com slash join if you can become a monthly or annual member. It makes a huge, huge difference. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much to Dr. Cornell West. 
Uh, we will have other videos we we're putting up uh, over the weekend. Everybody have a great weekend and I will talk to you on Monday.